Morning. Whoops, yes, it's there. Good morning. Good morning. Wonderful. Really is wonderful to see you all. I've been out, out for three weeks, so I feel like a bit of a visitor again. So um, it's always a privilege to be back. So, um, yeah. And just let me say that Clayton was supposed to preach this morning. Unfortunately, he's not well. He phoned me on Friday. He could hardly talk from all the coughing and spluttering, and I think he has a lung infection. So he said, Dad, I hate to do this to you, but could you preach on Sunday? So uh, just please pray for him. Keep praying for him. We continue to trust for breakthrough. We continue to trust that he goes through, comes through what he needs to come through, that he would be healthy again. Amen. But we will not back down. That we will not do. So this morning, in light of that, I actually want to preach on to encourage us all never to step back, never to back down, but to press in and press on. So despite what is happening, despite what you go through, despite some of what even Dwayne said is coming in your life, I'm encouraging you, don't back down. Don't. And so I want to, that's what I want to touch on this morning. I know we've been preaching on Acts, so if you can go with me to the book of Acts again, um, I thought I needed to at least take one scripture out of the book of Acts. So we'll go to Acts 1 1. How's that? <laughs> uh, fortunately, I've missed the last three weeks on Acts. So I'm not too sure I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I believe they've been wonderful, so I will get a chance to listen to it sometime. So I trust I don't repeat what's been said. But um, yeah, it's really good to be back. So in Acts chapter 1, Verse 1, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, we've read this, I don't know how many times, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. These three verses set the stage for the rest of Acts. It says that I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It's not a completed thing. That word is a present continuous tense. Something Jesus started needs to be continued. And so that's what the book of Acts about is. Is though he's not yet in person, he's yet through the power of the Holy Spirit. It will continue in what he had displayed when he walked on earth and all that he taught. And the message was always about the kingdom. The books of Acts is about the continued ministry of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will fulfill the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, today, we are trying to restore the ministry of Jesus Christ because it's like it's been lost through the years. So the church needs to restore what he did because Christianity without power does not exist in the New Testament. It just doesn't exist. 
You can't say Christianity and it doesn't include power. And that's what the book of Acts is about. And so you get snapshots of the ministry of Jesus when he walked on earth. And if you go to Matthew chapter four, there's a wonderful little snapshot. It's like a little summary. There's a couple of scriptures in the gospels where it in a sense summarizes his ministry. In verse 23, it says this, Matthew 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. The people brought him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, bad translation, should be demonized, those having seizures, and the paralytics, and he healed them. That is a snapshot of the ministry of Jesus. If you go to Luke chapter four, you get another real brief snapshot. Luke chapter four, verse 40, says this. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and he laid his hands on them, and he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and he would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. When they came to him where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns because that is why I was sent. And his mission statement, and most of you know it, is out of Luke chapter four where he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, to release the captives, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to bring the good news. That was his mission statement. In John 10, verse 38, you don't have to turn there, it's a one-verse summary that Peter gives how Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. That's the mission statement of Jesus Christ. So that's his ministry. So the four basic elements consist of the ministry of Jesus. Preaching, teaching, healing, deliverance. I'll say it again. Preaching, teaching, healing, deliverance. Now we're not all called to preach and teach to the degree that some others are, but there'll always be a time in your life where you're called to share the message, preach to some person, even if it's for three, four minutes, or tell something, or teach somebody about something. So those two words, the preaching and the teaching, that's the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God. Teaching is understanding how to live it. But then there's a demonstration of healing and deliverance. And that summarizes very briefly the ministry of Jesus that the book of Acts is about. And if we're gonna walk in the ministry of Jesus, we have to first of all make intimacy with God a top priority. It is the root system from which everything flows. Jesus was not working for the Father's love, but from the Father's love. It's a huge difference. You never have to earn the love of the Father, people. If you're a born again child of God, you have the love of the Father. You don't have to, we don't have to perform to do it. I'm encouraging you. His ministry was not an effort to gain approval, but rather an overflow of his relationship. He was perfectly loved already. Love was the foundation for what he did, not the thing he strived for. 
So I encourage you, continue to settle that in your heart. And so I don't want to touch on the preaching teaching. I want to touch on the demonstration, the other two. The proclamation and the demonstration. And in order for the demonstration to take place, two things are absolutely critical. We need authority and we need power. You all look at me like I'm... We need authority and we need power. We do. As a church, to continue the book of Acts, we read the book of Acts and we see, my, look what those people did. I heard somebody once say, we should look at the book of Acts and say, is that all they could do? Because we're 2,000 years on. But unfortunately, it's been robbed and stolen over the centuries and over the years. But the ministry of Jesus has never changed. Never changed. So I'm encouraging us as a body. That's why I'm talking like this. Despite what's happening, don't back down. Don't back down. I speak to myself. Don't back down. My son is sick, but I ain't backing down, believing that God heals. Because that is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we'll press on and we'll press in. But we say, Lord, grow us in authority, grow us in the understanding of your power. We have to have those two. Even when Jesus walked on the earth, he called the 12 and he said, I give you power and authority. Go do this. Heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the good news of the kingdom. He called the 72 and said, I give you power and authority under the Old Testament dispensation to go do it. Nothing can happen in the kingdom Nothing can happen that is of Christianity without power and authority. It's impossible. But it doesn't come from us. That's the beauty about it. So what is authority? Authority simply has to do with the legal right. And power has to do with the ability. Authority is like a police officer, the best example I could think of. Each badge represents legal authority. He has legal authority to stop you if you've broken the law. He has legal authority to arrest you, but he's also equipped with various other things in order to empower him to do it, like, uh, um, I don't know, a car, um, handcuffs, a taser, a communication system, maybe a gun of such. So his badge gives him authority, but his equipment empowers him. And we need both. We desperately need both, and an increase in it. So how does power and authority, or how does authority and power come? How do we grow into it? How do we walk into it in a greater measure? Just let me say the gateway into authority is being born again. It's a gateway into authority. Then you start the process of learning how to operate in the authority that has been given to you. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, said Jesus, therefore go, because I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you authority. But how do we grow in that authority? Authority is rooted in the Word of God. Rooted in the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. You've heard us teach on it. And as the Word of God is established and rooted in me, authority begins to come forth. So if you want to grow in authority, get into the Word. See who Jesus is. See what He's done. See what He's doing. Allow that establishment to take place in you so the authority begins to be exercised in you, begin to grow up in you. 
Authority is also rooted in the name of Jesus. His name is above every name. The ongoing revelation of his finished work, which we sang about, his victory, which he has won, he said it is done. As that impacts us, that revelation gets in us, authority begins to come. And authority is not of us, but it's of him that's been given to us. But it has to be exercised through faith. It requires the faith step to speak it out, what is real in our hearts or whatever the case is. So authority is grounded in the word of God. It's grounded in the name of Jesus. And it's expressed through faith and released by words. That's how it begins to happen in our life. Power. Power basically is ability. Jesus said, wait to the disciples. Wait, 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 wait. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. You don't earn it. You receive it. You will receive power. What does power do? Gives us the ability to release captives, to heal the sick, to be a witness. But it's his power. So what facilitates receiving power? Two things, might be others, but two that I can, importation and waiting on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. Waiting on the Lord. It requires a waiting on the Lord. It requires him to clothe us afresh daily or weekly with power from on high. To clothe us, because it comes from on high. It comes over us. An importation. In the Bible, it talks about when people laid hands on other people, it was an importation that sparked something in them. And so sometimes it requires an importation from some person. It's not the person. It's just an importation to spark something in you. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, remember when we laid hands on you, stir up the gift that you received when we laid the hands on you. And so there's laying in of hands that takes place, but it requires waiting on the Lord. And as those two come together, that importation that keeps coming our way, as we wait on the Lord, as we get the word of God in us, as we understand who the name of Jesus is, the authority and the power begins to get demonstrated in our lives. But it's never about us. It's about who's to receive the authority and who's to receive the power. It's to help people come free. It's to help people caught in bondage. It's to help the people out there that we sang this wonderful song, they don't know Jesus Christ because they're caught up in sin. I was there one day, many years ago. And so as I read... I want to read you about, I want you to turn, if you can, to Mark chapter, yeah, Mark chapter 6. I want to use the story of the 5,000 to help us with some steps. The feeding of the 5,000. Do you know that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels? There's no other miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Only the feeding of the 5,000. And I remember... Many, 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 many years ago, <laughs> Michelle and I had the privilege of taking food to less fortunate people than we were in, our, in their circumstances. And we would take them food. 
And I remember us going to this particular place and feeding these young people, particularly the young people. And when we got there, we realized the food we had brought, because we had made sandwiches and we put some fruit with it, so there were little baskets. There were not enough baskets for the amount of people that we saw. So we weren't too sure what to do. So we just said, well, what we'll do is we'll just hand it out. And so when we come to the end, we come to the end. God multiplied the food. He honestly did. I can't remember the numbers. We had like, I don't know, 50, 70. I can't remember the numbers. But there were like nearly double the people. But everybody got. I don't know how it happened. I have no clue to this day how it happened. But it happened. It's like the supply never ended. You look back, oh yeah. And you look back, but it's like the power behind you just didn't go down. It just it was amazing. It was absolutely remarkable. So the feeding of the 5,000, there's some things we can learn in it in terms of exercising the authority and power so the kingdom of God can come. Mark chapter 6, verse 13. I'll find it somewhere in my Bible. Mark 6, verse 13. Uh, it can't be Mark 6. 35, sorry, Mark 6, 35. I don't know why I got 13. It's Matthew 4, 14, 13. All right, so it's Mark 6, verse 35. So if you go down to verse, um, let's go to verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done. So they're coming back and reporting because he had sent them out. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not have chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get rest. So he actually wanted to take them away, chat to them, and let them get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all over the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them. By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said. It's already late. Send the people away <laughs> so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy for themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said, and other translations, Philip said, that would take eight months' wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them, all the people, to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven he gave thanks. Some translators said he blessed it. He broke the loaves, and then he gave to disciples to set out before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had been was about 5,000. It's men and women. It's an amazing miracle. So there's just some steps in here. First one is recognize that there's a problem. You don't have to go far to recognize these problems. Because they recognize, the disciples, there's a problem. We have a problem. 
And we don't have to go far where God will bring something across you and you see that there's a problem, there's an issue. Number two, recognize our responsibility in being part of the solution. So often we want to stand back and say, God, you do it. And God says, no, no, I want you to do it. I will work through you. God comes to the world through his people. We are co-laborers with him. We are vessels that carry something of heaven. It's a huge, huge, huge privilege. And so we've got to recognize first as a problem, recognize our responsibility and that God works on this planet through human beings. Thirdly, acknowledge our lack. Once we have seen the problem and accept responsibility for being part of the solution, we have two options. Acknowledge our inability to solve a problem or go on in our own strength. And unfortunately, many of us can turn to our own strength. I will sort this out without taking it to the Lord. The disciples try to do that. Work it out in their own way, in the human understanding. The task is impossible to do in the natural. Absolutely impossible. Number four, give what you have to Jesus. Knowing our lack is important, but don't focus on your lack. Don't focus on our inability. Don't focus on where you're at. Focus on where he's at. That's key, people. Absolutely key. It's very easy to focus here. Focus on where he's at. Focus on where he sits. Focus on what he has said. Focus on what he encourages us to do. That's where the focus needs to be ongoingly. Knowing our lack is important, but not to focus there but cause us to run to him. The disciples realized that they, what they had was not nearly enough, so they came to him with what they had. So give yourselves back to him. I encourage you. Give yourselves again and again and again to him. Don't be afraid to come to him even on a daily basis and say, Lord, I continue to give myself to you. I continue to give myself to you. I continue to give myself to you. You work in me what you need to work in me. You work out of me what you need to work out of me. Because it's you. You are the source. You have the ability. Let me understand my authority. Let me understand the power that you want to clothe me with so I can be about your business. When we give ourselves to Jesus, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our dreams, our possessions, and our lives. Keep surrendering to him. Allow him to bless us, because that's what he did with the bread, and break it. Allow him to bless you, but allow him to break you. Blessing has to do with his anointing and his presence and the gifts of his spirit. Breaking has to do with his heart, his compassion, his love, his grace. Blessing is the power to serve Breaking is keeping our motives pure. The disciples came to Jesus wanting to fix the problem of feeding the people, but their motives were not right. Desiring power and authority for healing is great, but why? God doesn't anoint us with power and authority to make us famous, but to set people free what he does. 
then we've got to learn to release the resources of heaven through our lives. The resources include the power of the Spirit. The resources include the compassion of God. It's interesting to note how much was left over. And the Bible says they had more than enough. You see, the resources, Jen said it in worship, the resources of heaven are more than enough than what we need. There's more than enough for what we need. There was more left over than when they started. And since Jesus said, go and pick it up, and I often wondered, why would he say go pick it up? And one day my wife came to me and she said, you know why they went to pick it up? I said, why? She said, because the anointing of the Lord was upon those things. And the Lord doesn't waste his anointing. But what I want to come back to, because it's key, is the process of brokenness. That's key. When we are in a season of pursuing or pressing into the Lord, and, we be, and he begins to release greater authority and power, and we see something of the supernatural beginning to be released through our lives or through people, healing, deliverance, it is so easily, so easily to say, look at that guy. Look how great he is. The anointing is very intoxicating. And I'm saying, let us as a church, because that's what God has promised this church, let us be aware of that. What am I trying to say? Let not pride come in. Let not comparison come in. That we're better than everybody else. Let brokenness come in. When the crowd saw the signs and wonders that Jesus did, they tried to make him an earthly king. When Paul performed a miracle in the city, the people called him and Barnabas gods and tried to worship them. Are we prepared to handle such temptations that will come with the anointing of God? I've come to realize the importance of regularly asking God to examine my motives to purify me of any form of selfish ambition. When you pray such prayers, be prepared to be confronted with some of the ugliness in your heart and my heart. That's impossible to detect without the Holy Spirit's help. Pride is the deadliest thing to the Christian. And to protect us from it, God often has to break us the more broken we become, the more the compassion of God and the fragrance of Christ is able to pour out of our lives into a world among us. Like Mary with the perfume as she put the perfume on his feet. The anointing, as I said, is very intoxicating. And I know in my own life there have been seasons where I've seen God work in me and through me and I've come back and I've thought about it and days later I could feel the pride come in. I'm just being honest with you. And I used to go speak to Michelle. I used to get on my knees and I say, Lord, rid this thing out of me. Kill this thing inside of me. Because it can never be about a person. It can never be about a person. It can only be about Jesus Christ. It is his ministry. It's not ours. Now, he gifts us, I understand. 
but it's to glorify his name and to set people free. That's what it's about, whatever they're caught up in. And in my own life, I can look back and see that I've spent time and seasons in these different steps, crying out because of the need I see in people. There were seasons that I saw people stuck in a place, and I just cried out to the Lord because I knew they needed help. I knew they needed a breakthrough in their life. There have been deeper times of seeking the Lord and asking for freedom to come to people. And the realization that my own, of my own inability to make that happen. But I've also seen seasons of greater release and anointing sometimes come through my life. And there's been seasons of a greater measure of brokenness and humility. But there's still a way to go that God wants to take me through. Just as the process of graining Christ and his ministry will be unique to each individual, the process of bringing about the brokenness that God desires will be unique as well. For Joseph, it was betrayal by his brothers, false accusations, and time in prison. For Moses, it was 40 years in the desert. For David, it was being under the leadership of King Saul, who was jealous of him and constantly sought to take his life. For Peter, it was his own failure in denying Christ that brought him to the end of himself. For Paul, it was constant, harsh persecution. For Jacob, it was 20 years of being deceived by his uncle Laban. He changed. Change started to take place. The man that was a deceiver and a swindler was swindled by someone else. And it started to do a work inside of him. There are various types of situations that help release a greater measure of brokenness in our lives. The primary theme of each of these scenarios is the same. Pain. I'll spell it for you. P-I-A-N. Pain. Pain will either produce brokenness or bitterness. When responded to and produced properly, or process properly, pain and suffering will be the custom tools to form a deeper brokenness in us. When responded poorly, the same pain and suffering will produce bitterness, coldness of heart, and anger. It is very important that we submit to the process that God brings us through with a proper attitude so that we will achieve the end that God has in mind. We cannot expect to walk in the power of Christ's resurrection while avoiding fellowship of his sufferings. This is not a good message for Americans, I'm sorry to say. It isn't. Because this whole culture, and I'm part of it, is convenience and comfort. And the gospel directly opposed to that. But you can't bring it to yourself. You've got to allow the God to bring it to you. There's nothing wrong with having. There's nothing wrong with convenience. There's nothing wrong with comfort. Don't let it get in the way of you pursuing what God has for you. That's all I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with lots of it. We need plenty. But just don't allow it to shape you. Allow the Lord to shape you. That's all I'm trying to say. Seasons of pain and confusion are unavoidable in this life. Times of disappointment will happen. 
whether it is through the betrayal of family, friends, persecution, misunderstanding, personal failure, false accusations, harsh authority figures, or painful circumstances, let us submit to God in these seasons so that brokenness will be developed. As we embrace the cross, we'll experience the power of the resurrection. The result will be the fragrance of Christ being released through our lives and through this church. I speak to us corporately. Brokenness is a key part of God's process in our lives. It is a rare, rare quality. Over the years, I've come to value this more and more when I see it in others. I remember somebody said to me, never trust somebody that has not been broken. And I've had many seasons of that. They are not pleasant, but it drives you to your knees. Michelle and I have been talking about it because I told her what I was going to preach on and we chatted about some of our seasons of brokenness and what happened in those seasons. But we see the fragrance that came out and I want to share some small example to help us understand this. Back in South Africa, when we were leading a church there, we went through a season of, it was a tough season, I'm just being honest. It was a, I was falsely accused of a number of things I had two of my leaders turn against me. Unknowingly, I didn't know. They called me into a meeting. I thought they wanted to discuss something, and they started to just climb into me, verbally, I mean. And um, things were not going well with our children at that particular point in time. And so I remember going into, we had an auditorium close to our, church, uh, to our house, and I remember going into the early hours of the morning and I'd put on a worship song and it would repeat it and it would play again and again. I'd just repeat it, four or five songs and I'd lie on the floor and I would just weep and weep and weep and weep. And there was a song by the woman called Darlene Check. I don't know if you remember her. came out of your song. And it was three or four of her songs that I just repeated again and again. And you're the father of compassion. You're my father in heaven. All those type of songs. And all I used to do, in my weeping, I would just sing up and say, God, but you're God. You're my father. You're God. And it was like probably two and a half months, literally daily. And about four months later, I got asked to go down to preach in a church down in another city. And um, so we went there, and the way it happened was I bumped into this pastor in different airports, and he led quite a big church in the city. And Michelle and I bumped into him and his wife probably in three or four different airports. That's how I got to know him. And we would have coffee and tea together in these airports all over the, all over the different country and different worlds. And one day he said to me, Ken, how does God use you? And he said, just tell me straight. Don't be, don't be shy, don't be modest. So I said, well, I th- believe God is teaching me and showing me how to release his presence. So he said, I want you to do that in my church. So I said, whoa, hang on, Grant, hang on, hang on. And I said, you come and do it. And that was like six months, and then we went through the process of brokenness. And then I went to his church. 
It was a Sunday evening, and when I arrived there, Michelle and I arrived there, there were people everywhere, but I mean everywhere. Some of you have heard the story. I mean everywhere. And I turned to him and I said, Grant, what have you told these people? I was very nervous, and all he wanted me to do was just come and release the presence of the Lord. He didn't, in a sense, he didn't want me to preach. So we're either going to have a very short evening or a very long evening. There's no in-between. So they had the worship, and while they were in worship, Michelle turned to me and said, what are you going to do? I said, I have no clue. But I just started to cry out to the Lord, and I got up on stage and introduced me, and he just said, you can trust this man. And so I just reverted back to what I normally revert back. I just started to share how I got saved. And it was about 10 minutes, not literally 10 minutes into it, Michelle can be and I felt God say to me, now, it took me by surprise. And I was on a platform like this, and Grant was sitting with his wife there, and there were people down the aisles. They, were, they had a balcony. It was full. There were people down the walls. It was packed. It must have been 2,500 people. I, said to, I looked at him. I said, Grant, so I'll look at Brian. I said, Grant, it's going to happen now. He said, do whatever you want to do. So I hesitated because I wasn't too sure. And then a gift of faith came pop on me. 1 Corinthians 12. When that gift of faith comes upon you, you know, like you know, like you know, like you know something's going to happen. There's no doubt. It's like God's faith comes. I've experienced that a few times. It's a wonderful thing. So the people were in groups like this but they stretched all the way back. So I said to this group, please stand. So they stood. I'm just telling you the outcome of their brokenness. That's all I'm telling you. All I'm trying to preach is we need to grow in authorium. And I felt the Lord say, raise your hand and bless them. So I stood and I said, in the name of Jesus. And as I said that, this is not a lie. Every person, every person, there wasn't one standing. It was like a pack of dominoes. They just went down. Every single person. And as some hit the floor, they started to scream, as some started to shout, some started to laugh, and some started to cry, and some started to wriggle. It was quite funny to see, actually. Then I said, this row. And they stood, same thing. And I said, this row. We started at six. The worship was about half an hour. I spoke for 10 minutes, and we walked out there at quarter to one in the morning. God came to that place. And as I've looked back, I realized it came out of that season of brokenness. That's what set the tone for it. And why am I saying this to you? Because I'm encouraging you. When you go through a season of brokenness, run to the Lord with it. Don't allow bitterness to come. Don't allow unforgiveness to come. Run to him. Let him do the work of you. He's setting you up for what's coming. He's setting you up. You're going to see things you haven't seen in your life. I'm telling you. Because brokenness keeps us humble before him. It really does keep us humble. God places tremendous value on brokenness. and attracts his presence. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. 
Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So they came into being, declares the Lord. This is what I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Psalm 51, David's psalm, when he was crying out to the Lord because of what had happened between him and Bathsheba. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, says this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Psalm 34, verse 18. So I don't have time to write them down. It says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I'll turn to the New Testament and what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. You have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from you. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, the cross, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in your body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bottle. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Therefore, do not lose heart that outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is, uns- what is unseen is eternal. We need power and authority. We need an increase of it to do the work that Jesus asked us to do, individually and corporately. We have seen God working. We have felt his presence. I heard last week in the worship, was outstanding time. I heard the service last week was wonderful. And we value times like that. But he's coming and visiting us because he wants to continue to prepare us for what he wants to do in us and through us. Because there's people out there that need him. There's people in here that need him. So allow him to mold you as you press in. Don't back off. My son is sick but I ain't backing off. He's been sick for a while. I refused to back down. 
I refuse to back down. I refuse to back down. And this might seem a silly thing to say, but this is the worst thing can happen to me. I can go and be with the Lord. That's it. But it's not my time, so it's fine. Somebody said it. I know it's not my time. I encourage you people, don't back out. Don't back off. Encourage one another. We need to do that. Have fellowship with one another. Help one another. Spend time with one another. But let us do the work of the ministry. Let us do the ministry as Jesus called us to do. Let us heal the sick. Let us cleanse the leper. Let us cast out the demons. Let freedom come to people so they can be who God created them to be. Amen. Bless you all.